Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm a lucky Luciano, and with me, Brian, the angry man, claiming we are on to season three, episode 10. And today we're going to be looking into SEBTED, but uh, the reason for that is that, uh, you know, we've certainly noticed that there's an increased demand for it. It seems to be coming onto uh, clients' radar uh, a lot more often. Um, so we thought it'd be a good time or a good opportunity to review it for our listeners, give you an idea of what it is, what all the buzz is about, and how it can serve your business better. We're going to get into what is the good, the bad, and the ugly for this week. And I don't think we got any shortage of material. Brian, how are you? Welcome to uh, the show. Thanks, Luke. Nice to be back. Nice to be talking with you. Uh, I'm angry as ever. Mm -hmm. I'll start off with my angry rant is uh, what the hell is happening in Canadian policing? Yeah. We just buried two officers in Edmonton, and then in Quebec, the Sotet Quebec lost an officer just uh, uh, the other day. Uh, it, it is just amazing. And what pisses me off really is I was talking to someone today that was asking what's happening. And they were talking about is a part of the mental health crisis. And I think there's a lot of things behind this, but I don't think this is the mental health issue. I think it's Canada's uh, uh, bail bail approach to bail. Yeah. And I know that a lot, I believe the Association of Chiefs of Police, Canadian and Ontario, are looking at a reverse onus, whereby under the Liberal government, they had changed the rules a little bit or the policy so that, you know, it was up to the Crown to convince a judge why this person shouldn't get bail. And as a result, we have people that are re repeat offenders, are being released, violent offenders being released because the Crown can't meet the bar that the judges are looking for. And that bar has been set by the present government, saying there has to be a very persuasive reason why you deny bail. But I think there comes a time where you have to say, listen, this is the second or third or fourth time this person has been arrested in the same charges. Now, talk about uh, charges in relation to crimes against the person. Not shoplifting, not a fraud, but serious crimes like domestic abuse, assault, attempt murder. If you uh, look at some of the recent police shootings, uh, the OPP officer uh, that was uh, killed December 27th, the guy that, uh, it was a man and woman, a, a couple, uh, he was out on uh, actually a failure to appear on multiple mm -hmm bail violations and in most um, cases that's what we're seeing so reverse onus would basically say that you've been arre arrested mr cedroni for the third time for aggravated assault against your wife okay you have to demonstrate to the court why we should let you give you a fourth chance versus the way we're doing it right now it's pissing me off there has been i believe nine police officers in canada killed within the last six months if i am not mistaken and I may be getting this a little bit wrong, but we don't usually see nine police officers killed in a decade. It is ridiculous. And beside, behind the badge and the uniform, there's people with families. There's with mothers and wives and children and husbands. This uh, uh, police officer in Quebec that was killed, 
she was a mother of two. I mean, there are real consequences to when this is happening. And here's the issue. We're going crazy about crime in the city and Toronto and the TTC, all the gratuitous crime. Think of it this way, listeners. If they are, if people are out there doing gratuitous crime, in the past, they would do that, but they wouldn't go after the police man or woman because they had a gun. They're not even scared about that right now. If they're not scared about taking out cops, what does that mean for the rest and, of us? Uh, I think, Mr. Cedroni, you've had one too many uh, whiskeys, so just cut it down. I don't want to. No, sure. I'm just very angry. There's no, uh, well, you know what? It's always something good. And for me, the good thing is, you know, we're always, we're still on this side of the, the, the soil, which is always um, good. In terms uh, of the ugly, I got to yeah, say, well, know, I agree, the police shootings are it's atrocious. Um, I think today there was an officer killed yeah, serving but, a warrant. It just, um, to your point, there's no respect for jack shit anymore. There's no repercussions. There's no accountability. But the concern is this, and I know you may not like hearing it, but the police, at least you can say they're paid, trained, to engage, to do, no one, no one signs up to get shot and killed. Absolutely not. But at least they've got something. When you go to the public sector today, we had another stabbing or yesterday we had a stabbing of a 16 year old, right? Killed yeah, on the TTC, so. actually not on the, on the subway, sitting on yeah. a freaking bench Mining and he gets stabbed. Yeah. And by the way, if you're not aware, speaking to your point, the, the guy is on yeah. bail today. Yeah. He's let out and, again. Again. And when he did this offense, he was already on bail. He was yes. already released for another violent crime. There's something wrong with our yep. system. Well, I think when I know you listen to 1010 as much as I do, and and the, this morning's discussion was on the bail system, and I, I'm pretty sure you, you you caught some of that. And when he got into the point, and I agree 100%, you know, part of the reason why I got fed up with policing, watching judges who have no clue what the average citizen goes through in this country you know, sitting in their goddamn, you know, mansions, enjoying the taxpayer money with no repercussions or accountability for the decisions. They don't give a crap, right? And personal example, I actually sent it to the show, but it went too late, I guess, yeah. or otherwise I, I was hoping he was going to air it. But I, 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 you know, I was taking my kid up to traffic court. Now, it's not a, you know, a criminal court judge, but it's a JP, same mm -hmm. type of mentality. They're just as freaking, you know, pompous asses as, as the rest of them. But going up to court, we're driving 80 kilometers an hour because that's what I told them to do. And this Audi flies by us on a double yellow over us over the hill. He must have been doing at least a buck 10, buck 20, right? And who does it happen to be? The freaking JP who then sits on his pedestal and convicts everybody for the same goddamn offense that he just committed. Now, and that to me reflects everything that's wrong with our justice system. I'm just curious, are you taking dramatic uh, editorial liberty and saying it was a JP or it truly was the JP? I am telling you it was the JP because it was just before we got to the uh, to the courthouse. So we saw him get out of the car wow. and then saw him walk up to the freaking the, the bench. Wow. So yeah, I know damn well it was the JP. It wasn't a figment of my imagination or an assumption. It was him. There's a real problem, and, and I think you sort of hit on it. You know, I'm not going to cast aspersions about all judges being, you know, uh, distant and living in mansions and things like that, but I'm going to build on that point. I think what happens often is that there's two realities, and the policemen actually see it. And a lot of people in Toronto or across Canada that are working people taking the subway, walking the streets, they see it. There's some real uh, threats and challenges out in the street. 
And then you've got people that are insulated from that stuff, like our polit many of our political leaders, yeah. many of our judiciary. And it's almost as if, and I don't mean it the way it may come across, but they or their loved ones have to become a victim of a crime. Yeah. And should that happen, you would see a change. And, and I don't want that to happen. So I would ask the question rhetorically, if that's what the end would be, why do we wait till one of them get hurt? Do something now. You're representing the rest of us. You have the power to do something about it. It is just wrong. It, you look you know, at people in power and politicians and they all have bodyguards. The prime yeah. minister has a whole squad of RCMP. They're insulated. I send my daughter to work or to school on the uh, TTC or Gold Transit. She doesn't have bodyguards. Not most of us don't. I'd say 99.9% .9 of us don't. Yeah. We're fending for ourselves. That young lad that got killed at Stan that you talked about in the TTC, he had no bodyguards. So these people that can make a difference, they have a moral obligation to make sure that they're exercising their their, their duties properly because they it doesn't matter what they think, they're talking yeah. for us. They, I don't think they know who us is. Uh, they have them anyway, and then us. Cool. Anyway, whole, we can try. We can, I, yeah, this could be a whole episode. I know you're all pissed, but yeah, we, we're we not going to talk about that. Otherwise, we'll probably get in trouble at some point. But let's get into today's topic, which is crime prevention through environmental design or otherwise known as SEPTAD. It is um, increasingly popular on uh, RFPs, um, especially amongst government agencies looking for, uh, you know, an implementation or an assessment to be done. Um, and I know, Brian, you've seen uh, an increase in them in, in your business as well. Um, and part of the reason why I became SEPTED certified uh, during COVID, uh, to give myself something to do, but also to be prepared for this type of thing. So just so we know what we're talking about um, and the listeners understand what it is, I'm going to give you a quick definition. All right. So SEPTED is a recognized design application that leverages the surrounding environment to enhance the perception of safety and reduce the likelihood of unwanted activity. By, design, by designing out crime, our objective is to create an environment where the perception of conducting a crime or unwanted behavior is outweighed by the likelihood of being detected You're or caught. That, but there's one key element that's missing um, or, or isn't highlighted enough in that definition, and I think it's the critical element when it comes to SEPTED, and that is that it's all based on the perception of the people who are in the space. And the challenge with perception is that it's based on feelings and not fact. Um, and I think that we're going to have some examples as we get into this where, you know, our, our clients have expressed the perception that, you know, their tenants are not safe or they don't feel safe. Uh, but when we do the examination or an assessment, clearly they're not as dangerous as, as uh, you know, you would think they are. That's really what SubTed is focused on, changing that perception to a positive one. So I'm going to turn over to you, Brian, for some opening comments on that. Yeah, well, I agree about your point on perception. Perception is reality, and it's really important. It doesn't matter what the, well, it does matter what the data suggests. If people looked at, if the data suggested the TTC was safe, the perception is it's not. And that then becomes reality, and you're entirely right. SEPTED is about tweaking the natural environment to create the perception of safety and security. That people don't understand SEPTED, and if they do, they don't understand understand at what point in the risk management process, process do you start with cool. septed and i'll give you this analogy if you've driven a manual transmission car where you got to shift the gears manually okay you got to start it first before you get to second before you get to third if you started second or third you'll still get there but it's painful it's hard on the motor 
it's going to take you longer. What I try to explain to clients is septet should not be an afterthought. Septet has to be uh, has to take place at the beginning. Too many clients, too many people think they don't think about septet. They let's say are putting up a building, an office building, a residential building, a shopping mall, and uh, they say we're going to have cameras and we're going to have access control. That's that, great. That is those are physical security things that should occur after you exhausted the tweaking of the natural environment to create the same effect. So what I try and tell clients, and I'm going to tell listeners, is septed is something that should uh, happen at the start of the process. Yeah. And you really should consider it because septed basically is free. It's yeah. really just tweaking the natural environment. It's easier to do a septed review uh, and in many cases implement the recommendations, especially at the design phase, rather than doing it once the design is finished or the building is up, because it's got to take place in a logical sequence and septet comes first. And regrettably, that doesn't happen often yeah, enough. For sure. Um, and what we're going to do is going to uh, go through the elements of septet so people understand, uh, get a better understanding of what, what it entails. And I think it'll become a lot clearer as to the elements that, uh, that make it basically a cost-effective security solution, or safety solution, whatever you want, security safety. Um, at the end of the day, it makes people feel safer, um, and they are safer if you if you adopt these principles because it makes the area cleaner, nicer, vibrant, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll get into that now with uh, the Septet Five Principles. So let's I'm gonna just lay out the five principles, and then we'll get into the first one, and we'll go into the others basically, after that. The five um, principles for Septet deployment are uh, natural surveil surveillance, creating a space where you can see things, um, natural access control to reinforce ownership. Uh, territorial reinforcement, uh, maintaining the property, making sure it looks looks good, and then social management. <clears throat> so we're going to get into the first one here called uh, natural surveillance. And the key components for natural surveillance are that it reduces antisocial behavior through a perception that someone is watching. And that doesn't necessarily have to be eyeballs. It could be video cameras that achieve the same thing. But in the case of, of Subted, we really try to make people become that uh, that that visual eyes on the street as they call it in, in the uh, in, in the environment the, the objective is to create clear sight lines from you from uh, from wherever you are to wherever you want to see people are comfortable in areas where they can be seen clearly and be seen so what does that mean uh, you know typical parking lots where you've got all shrubbery and, and dark lights you're obviously going to feel uncomfortable there so you want to clear out the shrubbery you want to put on some lighting so that people can see you and you can be seen, and that creates some comfort level and, and a sense of safety and security. The last two points I'm going to put in here before I turn it over to you again is the uh, the two foot six foot rule, which is an easy application to your business. Basically, anything, uh, all your items, uh, whether they be trees, landscaping, um, walls like curb walls, um, fences, you want to make them either two foot or less, um, so that you can see over them, or six feet and above. Uh, so that you can see through them or underneath yeah, them. Um, and then the last piece is the application of proper lighting, which is critical for natural surveillance because it lights up things and lights the you know lights the cockroaches, let them scatter. Same thing with crime. Put a light on it, and they tend to go someplace else. And that's reason the, the concept, the basic reasoning behind that for uh, for natural surveillance. Brian, what do you got to say about that? Some experience you want to share, or some uh, some some pointers for our listeners. Well, there's a reason people do not like in any downtown uh, setting uh, at three o'clock in the morning to go down through a long, dark alley. 
people don't like it, but bad guys do. The reason people don't like it is there's the fear that danger lurks ahead where I can't see. And if I get into trouble, no one's going to know I'm in trouble. Bad guys like it for the exact same reasons that people can't see them hiding and they can't see them waiting. So I think that sort of, to me, summarizes natural surveillance. You want eyes on the street. That's the term we use in SEPTED. Eyes on the street is just basically the belief that wherever you are, within the building, within the street, not only can you see things around you, but people in the area can see you. And that's why the two foot, six foot rule is really important. You could hide behind a shrub and surprise someone, but if it's cut to two feet high, or six feet, uh, the tree canopy, you could see if someone's hiding. So it's just a matter of sight lines. It's really not more complicated than that. We have a client we're doing some work for right now, a commercial office tower in the downtown core, and they've got a problem with uh, bad guys. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, people, uh, mental health issues, homelessness, uh, uh, drug users, it's near a, a safe injection site. And they've got a lot of their corridors that are long winding corridors that are very uninviting. They look uh, decrepit and there's a lot of shadows or dark areas where you can do your dirty deeds without being seen. What we explained to them is if we just tweak the environment by creating some lighting, by cleaning it up, and I don't get ahead of myself when I talk about the cleaning piece or the maintenance piece, and uh, uh, just, uh, rejigging some of the blind corners, it's going to eliminate the problems that are currently uh, occurring. And that's a suggestion we made to this client. We've actually done it with other clients in the past, and you can demonstrate by looking at the crime stats and the disorder stats, there's a marked decrease. And they didn't have to spend thousands of dollars on guards or technologies. They just tweaked the natural environment. And when I say natural environment, it's not just outdoors and the trees and the hills and the parkland, but it's the natural environment inside our buildings. It's the way things flow in the buildings. Yeah, I mean, you just think about it to bring it to a personal level. How many times, you know, your wife probably came, comes downstairs and sees your office or, or, or your rec room and says, you know, this place looks dreadful. And what's the first thing they say? Put on a fresh coat of paint. They don't say go buy a new house, yeah. right? Just put in a fresh coat of paint that changes the perception right away. It gives it a whole new feel, change the color, and that's really what subtext about on a, on a bigger scale. Uh, you know, externally to the property, that kind of. But that's the mentality behind it. All right, moving on to territorial reinforcement, basically telling people where your property starts and the public's uh, public property uh, starts, or the division line, dividing line between the two, um, and then letting them know through uh, the use of landscaping, signage, or um, wayfaring that uh, you know whether what they can do on your property it's your property so you you have to identify it, it could be a fence it could be a sign it communicates expectations rules and usage so you know when you go to a park when you go into a park it typically says what's expected uh, dogs have to be on a leash uh, no smoking uh, you know so it lays out what the expectations are once you cross over into their space their territory they're telling you that's how you reinforce the ownership of that property and it uses transition zones to delineate between public, private, and semi-private space. So what does that mean? It's just a fancy way of saying, you know, people know just by the structure of, of, the, uh, of the landscaping, example, the, the sidewalk the typically tells people this is public space. And everyone knows when they're on a sidewalk, almost always it's public space. But when you, and then when you go to someone's home, that sidewalk changes from 
concrete to probably cobblestone or some fancy concrete, you know, that kind of thing. That's a signal to you that they are saying, this is my space. Now you're entering private space. And then they can start telling you what the expectations are once you enter that space. Right. You know, I had the opportunity years ago to go to a U.S. military uh, installation. It was the Strategic Air Command Base. And as you get there, you know you're in an area which is not open to the public. There was signs, especially the one that got me is that trespassers may be lethal forces uh, authorized. So that gets my attention. It's America. <laughs> it's America. But the interesting thing is, you know, when you get towards the fence line, clearly you know where the perimeter is. Clearly, you know, because of the physical barrier, uh, where you're allowed to be and where you're not allowed to be. And also the barking guard dogs uh, inside that perimeter reinforce that. But, you know, you don't need that. You know, that's not practical. You can't do that in your apartment building. You can't do that in your uh, 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 shopping concourse or commercial real estate. We had a client where they had a, it was a residential cluster of uh, uh, buildings, apartment buildings, and in the center of the courtyard, there was a playground. It was a very nice playground, but they were in an area where there was a lot of uh, drug activity going on, people using, people selling. And this playground was newly installed, cost them tens of thousands of dollars. And it was just there in the middle of the courtyard. And every day or every morning when they would uh, uh, do the maintenance around the building, they'd find in the playground area, right under the swings in the whole general area there, they uh, spent needles, condoms, uh, empty alcohol bottles, and they were beside themselves and they didn't know what to do. And we, I talked about the SETEP principle of territorial reinforcement. And I talked about fences and I talked about shrubbery. And they looked at me and they said, this is a playground. We're not going to put up fences and barbed wire and dogs. And I said, we're not telling you to do that. Yeah. What we suggested was just put shrubbery around the perimeter. The, shrubber the shrubbery tells people this this area this playground is not part of that common area it's a psychological deterrent yeah. well months later when we revisited the number of uh used condoms and empty bottles and needles was dramatically eliminated and not because we physically stopped the people that were using it illegally over the night uh, during the overnight periods but we we, we made a uh, we put a stake in the ground and we said, this is not part of that. And even the bad guys recognized, okay, we'll do our uh, needle work and our drug work. We'll just go over there because we we realize that we shouldn't be there where the kids are the next day. It's as simple as that. It's just tweaking the environment. And quite honestly, they were thinking about putting in uh, high-pressured sodium lights. They were thinking about cameras with motion detection. It was looking at $20,000, $30,000. They spent about $600 in shrubbery. And yeah they took care of the problem. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I find interesting when we do these types of uh, projects is that often clients come in thinking, you know, it's going to be big money or it's going to be overly secure, like a security vibe to it with all the cameras and the guards and all that kind of... And the reality is when you talk about SEPTED, it really is based on using the environment as it, as, as it exists, redesigning some of those elements. But even when you got to go to something like a fence, we're not talking about iron fences like the 1970s, you know, seven feet tall with barbed wire on top. There's some really nice looking fences that are SEPTED compliant in the sense that you can see through these fences. It yeah. still provides visibility and an added layer of protection. So there's yeah. a lot of options out there for, for people who are thinking about doing SEPTED or implementing SEPTED. 
and don't presume that it's going to be a, a militaristic type of an approach. If that's what it is, I think you're talking to the wrong set dead professional, actually. I would agree. And again, I just can't reemphasize how important it is that septed helps any time during the life cycle of a property. But it's ideally you want to do it pre-design because that's yeah. where it's the most cost-effective and easiest to implement. But if you forgot or you may be managing as a property manager a building that's 30 years old, I mean, it's too late. Pre-design yeah. is too late, but it's never too late to start tweaking that environment. There's a lot of simple things you can do. And I would also encourage you that if you're doing any sort of redevelopment, one of the first things you should look at is engage a, a, a set type practitioner such as the type that work at my firm and have them do a review and tell you what your options are before you finalize that design. Okay, let's move on to a natural access control. And this is basically controlling access through design and architecture for the facility. Uh, when they talk about a celebratory entrance, it really means attracting people to that point of that you want them all to congregate or they, you want to drive traffic to. Um, and it highlights the fine transition points to control access. A good example of this, to put it in uh, about as simple terms as we can, is I think of a golf course, right? You don't want golfers going all over the place. So you've got certain holes that are defined. And within those holes, you've got an actual path that requires the golf carts to operate on. You can go onto the green in certain areas, but there's always signage telling you where and when you can do that. Otherwise, you're confined to the cart, cart path. And that's ex exactly what natural access control is. It restricts people's ability to, to you know, transition through the property and makes them follow the path that you want them to follow. That way you've controlled them to some level and you mold that, that you know, you, you design it so that it goes towards your celebratory entrance, which in golf is the 18th, uh, 19th hole, where we all end up drinking and uh, having some food. I like that. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at the 19th hole. Yeah. You never get to the first hole. You just go right to the 19th. Yeah, because the first 18 are just a waste of time. Have you seen me play golf? Yeah, I know I am. Yeah. But 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 uh, it, it's really a good point because you really want to, especially with a big complex, you want to funnel people to a uh, a certain, uh, you want to funnel the traffic. You want to funnel them to the front door. You know, I, I, again, I had a client and it was a, a large uh, complex, a hospital type complex. And they had a problem with people. Uh, find, uh, they wanted to flow people in a certain way. And people were coming in throughout the complex through side doors and back doors and everything like like that. And we basically, again, just by doing some landscaping, retweaking, putting some signage up, putting some lights in some areas and dimming other areas, not making it blacked out. It was obvious where the entry portals were. So it's really important. Otherwise, you have a free for all. And the golf course example is a great example, because when you're on the hole, you know where you're teeing off from and you know where the pin is. OK, and you know, that's the direction you got to go. And when you're finished on the 13th, you got to get to the 14th, where there's usually a path or some sign yeah. telling you where to go. If those things were not there, if the golf course wasn't designed like that, it would just be a free-for-all and yeah. you'd be going all over the place and it wouldn't be very efficient. Uh, I can't so tell you how many times I go to a client's location and I notice that the problems they have are because they're not funneling people where they need to be. When I was uh, downtown working in the commercial real estate uh, sphere, we had a lot of those office towers will have dozens and dozens and dozens of entry portals. And they got people coming in from all over the place. Well, it was, you know, as simple as locking some doors, having signage to say, go to this door, not that door, putting bright lights or welcoming uh, features at the main door. 
that will just naturally flow the people to where uh, you need them to be. Sometimes you got to do physical measures to support that, but there's a lot you can do just by the natural tweaking to get people where you want them to go. Yeah, and I think an important addition to that is the the need for an independent set of eyes. You work that problem. We've talked about this yeah. before. You know, you you cross the street and you view your building totally different. Sometimes the same way you walk through your building, your facility, day in and day out. You may become complacent. You may not see things the way a third party, you know, like Brian's team can come in and take an independent review, make an independent review, and look at things from a whole new perspective that gives you a, you know, a fresh set of eyes to say, hey, that actually makes sense. Maybe we should do that. We didn't see that. We didn't anticipate that. And, uh, you know, you build a better future for, for the facility and a safer and secure one anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got that sex set of eyes is so great. I mean, I was telling my wife uh, last time we were dancing at a wedding, what a great dancer I am. And she said, yeah, but you've never seen yourself. So <laughs> the image I had is not the image I was projecting. And that second set of eyes was to the point, told me what I needed to do, and I haven't danced since. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving to our fourth point, which is uh, often overlooked because it does cost money, in this case, or can cost money, because somebody's got to do the cleanup. Uh, you've got a great facility it's nice and shiny you know you've got great visibility and then over time you start to cut back on any cleaning costs and let the shrubs grow a little more and all of a sudden that visibility starts to get you know obstructed things fall apart so maintenance is a key component of septet often overlooked <clears throat> but it is important and it's critical to continuing to maintain that safe and secure space it's all filtered or based on that broken window theory right you found one broken window and it attracts further uh, activity, unwanted or criminal activity. So you want to fix that window as quickly as possible. It also provides or conveys to would-be, um, you know, unauthorized users, as they like to say, uh, pride in ownership. It shows them that, hey, somebody's around here. Someone's keeping this place clean. Somebody's keeping it all up to, up to snuff. So I don't, want to, I don't want to do anything here because I'll probably get caught. Yeah. Um, it allows use of space for the intended purpose as in an additional expression of ownership. So what does that mean? How many times do you go to, uh, you know, transit systems are notorious for, or parks are even worse, right? You go to a park that's well-known, it's got a little corner that's off to the side, it's got a bench that was put there years ago, uh, shrubbery's been allowed to grow around it, so now it's a nice little concealed area where kids hang out and do drugs or have sex or whatever it is that they want to do. That's a perfect example of not what it was intended for, but it's become that because it hasn't been properly maintained. So maintenance can help bring that back, you know, cut back the shrubs, put a light there, shine it up, and that activity should start to, to go away. Um, and then lastly, it prevents the reduction of visibility from overgrowth and obstruction or inoperative lighting. How many times have we seen it, Brian, where marketing comes into our buildings when we used to run those big buildings and they'll put up a nice fancy poster or a, a monitor and it's right in front of one of our cameras or it's blocking the security? Well, the best example I could think of recently, I had a client in Northern Ontario and uh, uh, when it comes to maintenance, they were very concerned that this one particular apartment that they operated was a uh, 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 was attracting all sorts of prohibited type activity, drug activity, people drinking, that type of thing. And when you looked at the property, it just looked like shit. It was dilapidated. <laughs> uh, the uh, maintenance people at the property weren't sweeping it up. They weren't picking up garbage. It was just left to accumulate. And it's the type of place you figured no one's really looking no one cares, broken window theory. So if I throw my garbage there, if I leave my uh, empty uh, beer bottle over there, no one really cares. But what was interesting was just across the street was a fire hall. 
So it's the same neighborhood. It was a fire station. Fire station had a, uh, in the backyard where the trucks come in, there was a green space, there was a picnic table. It was immaculate. And I was talking to the uh, fire uh, crew, the captain over there. He was saying, yeah, we don't have any problems. I mean, the place is, uh, it's a tough area, tough neighborhood, but we don't have any problems. And it was so obvious. It was like a line in the sand that on one side of the street, you had this apartment building that looked like shit. The other side, you had this firehouse that was well-maintained. They took pride in ownership and they didn't have the problems. So if you're a bad guy and you want to sell drugs or do your drugs or do something you shouldn't be doing, are you going to go to the fire hall? Or are you going to go to the apartment building? Because quite honestly, fire hall is a man 24 hours a day, but they're sleeping in the nighttime. The apartment building is manned or occupied 24 hours a day. But the perception makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, you don't want to shit on someone's property if they're paying attention to point. it. So let's uh, move on to our last one, which is basically social management or things that you can do. They can, they can go a long way uh, to creating a, a safe and secure space. Um, and, you know, so some of them might be uh, active space, what we call eyes on the street. We've referred to it a couple of times, but basically creating a space or an area where people want to be um, and, and they want to do activities there. So they will come there and they will provide the security because when people are there, there's, you know, the odds of somebody wanting to do something, uh, you know, illegal or unwanted go down drastically because people are there. And that's what you want to do is activate space. Another terminology from the discipline you want to activate that space to attract people, bring eyes to the street so that they can keep an eye out for unwanted persons and, and unwanted activity. And then lastly, community engagement increases pride and reinforces ter territorial ownership. How do you do that? Well, you've got community projects, community events, and this doesn't, this isn't specific to condos or, uh, or homes, like it's neighborhoods. It's, it's just about scaling. I can tell you for myself, you know, when I first moved to my neighborhood, we had street parties, right? Organized once every every summer. We would have a big one. Everyone would get to know each other. You know, there were no there there were no surprises. People knew everybody, and people watched up for for everybody. Here we are, twenty years later. It's not happening anymore. And I can tell you, it's not as as safe a neighborhood. People don't talk to each other. People don't don't come out and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" There's a the odd two three that I talk to. That's about it. So that's that's a real world example of how community engagement through projects, whether it be street parties, whether it be art, art, uh, you know, arts and crafts things, whatever it is, that brings people out, gets them engaged um, and socially interact and, and, and they'll be the security for you. Um, some other things that you can do, public arts, sports and recreation about. is a big one. Obviously you got a soccer field or a, a local park that ha has events for kids. Families are gonna come out there. Kids are gonna be playing. So again, eyes on the street, active space, people who are up to no good are not gonna hang, hang around those types of areas. Um, and then lastly, educational activities, which you can also implement as well, right? Lunch and learns, bring people out, learn how to bake, learn how to knit, learn how to paint, whatever it is you want them to do. Just get the people, the, 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 uh, the local community involved. And just to finish off before I hand it off to you, Brian, um, you know, when you were talking earlier, it just brought me back to one of the projects we did where when you went into a building where these types of things were happening, you, you felt it. Like as soon as you walked in there, there was color in the lobbies. There was, you know, usually plants that were being watered, well kept. There was a community room that you could tell was being used to play, you know, watch movies or, or play checkers or chess. Um, and so, you, you, you know, you felt that right away and I felt comfortable in those. But then there were others, you know, we, we talked about some of them where, honest to God, it was like going into a, an old insane asylum. Just <laughs> long, dreary, white, um, you know, hallways with holes in them, left, unfixed. 
unmaintained, going, going back to what we've talked about, 90 degree currents, uh, turns with no visibility to what was around the next corner, broken down doors that were boarded up and left that way. Like it was atrocious. And, I, and, and that to me is, is a clear example again of how SubTed works. In that building, the second example, there's no way I would expect anybody to feel safe and secure. But the first example, man, was that a total like 180 degree, uh, you know, feeling for uh, comfort. Well, you know, I know that uh, project you're talking about, and it was a big project. We did it for a uh, government client, and uh, there were multiple properties. I think 30 or 40. It was it was a large project. Took us a long time to do, and we put a whole bunch of recommendations together, included technology and access control alarms and things like that. But the number one uh, strategic recommendation that we made was implement SEPTED into the operations of the portfolio. And just by doing that, we'll have a real tangible, quantifiable effect in the near term. Because the reality is budgets are tight. People don't have the money to put in thousands of cameras and hire uh, security teams and all that stuff. So we, as a team, as a project team, we said, where are we going to get the biggest bang for our dollars? What is realistic that the client would accept? And it was really septed based public art really can work uh, from a municipality level or from a property level. It's as simple as if you've got a, uh, uh, a trash container or, or a, uh, an outlying building, let's say where the garbage is kept or the lawn stuff is kept and it's being tagged with graffiti all the time, have a competition with the kids in the neighborhood to do murals on that. Okay. Mm -hmm. To, uh, to make it look like, someone cares and really it's a form of tagging but it's an organized form of tagging yeah it really tells the people this is not a blank canvas for you there's purpose-built art around here so when we talk about art you know we're not talking about rembrandts and picassos we're talking about just putting some color into the environment either at the municipal level or just your own Absolutely. property um, and speaking of a difference i'm just going to quickly go through the benefits before we end this off uh if you haven't figured it out already SEPTED reduces the potential for antisocial behavior and un unwanted activity and crime. Um, it increases a sense of safety and security for your people. It encourages local community engagement, which is great to get people connected again. It's long overdue. It's gone off. I don't know what happened to community engagement, but certainly COVID wasn't any help. Uh, but I think we we're already on our way down that road anyway, and hopefully we can turn it around. Um, it instills pride and ownership in the area. People see a vibrant piece of property. They're going to take care of it. And they're going to and they're going to watch out for it when people start abusing it or are not treating it properly they're more likely to report it either to the building manager police whoever it is that, that needs to be called it's an improved perception leading to increased business and value so for those of you who own homes if you know you know damn well if it's a nice neighborhood the odds mm -hmm. are you're going to get a better price than if you live in a crappy neighborhood um, but and also that's for businesses you know if you're running a commercial tower um, and you've got a great looking building, the, the odds of attracting tenants and retailers who want to be, be in that building are improved, right? They don't want to, they don't want to go into a, a, a decrepit old building that attracts drug overdoses and things like that. So it helps improve the business and the value. And lastly, it creates partnerships with interest groups and police. If you're doing this properly, if you do SEPTED properly, you're connected with the community and that community is connected with the local law enforcement. So it's a nice little wheel where everybody feeds off each other. Police come around regularly. They talk to you. You're able to tell them, hey, this is what we're seeing. Or they can tell you this is what we're seeing. And so you can prepare for it. You can keep an eye out for it. You can mitigate the risks and exposure to it. 
Brian, do you want to add anything to those points or any final thoughts? All I want to say is I think that uh, clearly there's two times the septet really need to be considered. First is, as I've said, at the design phase. And really, uh, I think as you're putting your project team together to design a new building or a major retrofit, you really need to reach out to a qualified consultant to help you do a septet review, to look at the plans at different phases of the development, at the 30% phase, at the 60% phase, and the 90% phase, and really put down, uh, critique those plans and, and make recommendations about lighting, about sight lines, about landscaping. And I would encourage anyone as part of their security vulnerability reviews that you should be conducting on a regular basis, you should call an organization like ours in to come in to do a septed review. And we're going to look at your property. We're going to look at your operations. And we're going to look at where the opportunities are. And we're going to give you a report that says, this is easy, low-hanging fruit. This is a bit more complicated. This is uh, strategic that you got to plan for over time. But septed should not be overlooked. It should be part of that overall risk management strategy any organization has when it comes to security and protection of assets. So to Brian's point, give him a call. Uh, they do an excellent job, if I say so myself. <laughs> but, and, uh, and, and I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good program. And uh, I think you'll be impressed with what, uh, what, what they give you. So if you're thinking about it, give BCA a call um, and have a chat and see what they can do for you. Uh, and with that, I'm going to sign off. We're off to episode number 11 next. I think we're trying to get a guest speaker, but we haven't confirmed that yet. Um, so we'll talk to you then. Bye, everyone. Be safe. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.